the 115th Psalm. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Does that sound familiar to something I talked about in our Prophecy Update today? To your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. All right, our sermon today is going to be Ruth chapter 2, starting in the 17th verse and going through to the 23rd verse. It's called Gleaning Through the Harvest Season. So Ruth 2, 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epaw of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabite said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. There are different kinds of work that are detailed in the Bible, but for the most part they can be divided into two main categories, physical work and spiritual work. These two can be separate or they can overlap, and one can picture the other as well. For example, there is the physical work of sowing and watering crops, and yet there is the spiritual work of evangelizing and teaching, which is pictured by the physical work. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There is the physical work of being a soldier or a warrior, and yet that pictures the spiritual warfare which goes on all around us. In fact, if we look closely at the workers who are mentioned in the Bible and the types of work that they do, we will inevitably see a spiritual truth being presented to us. And yet, at the same time, some of those jobs are jobs that any of us might do at any given time without any real connection to a spiritual application. Most farmers do not go out in the morning and say to their wives, Honey, I'm going out to work in the crops today, so expect the children to understand the book of Romans when I'm done. Instead, the father simply waters the crops, 
comes home and hopefully teaches the children Romans. If he thinks his work during the day will transfer to his children's knowledge of Romans in the evening, he should probably be put away for arrest. However, even in his farming, there should be a spiritual connection. And Paul gives us this advice in Colossians chapter 3. He says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we work in a bank or on a farm or in a restaurant, we can and we should accomplish our work in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him for the work, for the chance to receive our daily wages, for the chance to use our work to motivate others, and for the opportunity to show others Christ through our efforts. Our text verse today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. We're told that the motivations of our work will become clear. Everything that we do, even if it's just a menial task, can be done with a spiritual connection. The waitress who leads others to Christ through her quiet, steadfast, and faithful work ethic will surely be rewarded more than a pastor who preaches every single Sunday but who has no heart for the Lord. Today, we're going to see a woman who is faithful in her work, who demonstrates humility in her circumstances, and who is obedient to the sure calling she has received in the land of Israel and under the care of the God whom she once determined to follow through any circumstance. Her reward is coming in several ways, but at the time, she certainly is not thinking about the rewards. She's thinking about her commitment to her mother-in-law, her honor as an individual, and being dedicated and faithful as a person to the God that she has called as her own. We can and we should learn from her example and from the many other examples of our lives which have been revealed in the Bible's pages as people of faith, as people of honor, and as people who are dedicated to the task they were called to, whether they were lofty and exalted or whether they were tedious and menial. God's eyes are never indifferent to those who are faithful. We find this truth time and time and time again in God's superior word. And so let's turn to it once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought is verses 17 through 19. It's blessed be the one who took notice of you. Verse 17 says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. Earlier in this chapter, Boaz arrived at the field and we saw the following exchange. I think it was two sermons ago, it said this. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, it is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. So in this verse, first verse today, we see that other than a few short breaks, Ruth has worked steadily throughout the day, all right, even until evening. Another less diligent person may go to the field and glean just enough for the day and not bother with much extra, but she stayed in order to glean as much as she could. In this, she is a perfect example of the proverb of Solomon, which says these words, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Verse 17 continues, and beat out what she had gleaned. 
In this act, Ruth is assuming a great responsibility, which she could have easily shared with Naomi. Instead of binding up all of these stalks and carrying them home on her shoulder or maybe on her head, instead she takes the time to beat the grains out, probably with a stick, but maybe even with a small rock. It's a very laborious and tiring job, which is known as threshing. Once the grain is threshed, it then has to be separated from the stalks and the chaff. The stalks are picked out, and then the grain is winnowed. The chaff is taken out of the grain. This involves throwing it up into the air and allowing to, the wind to blow away the lighter chaff while the grain falls into a pile. All right? By doing this, she's going to bring home grain which is ready to be milled and then cooked. At the same time, she's keeping all of the difficult work for herself. The milling of the grain is something that she and Naomi could do together as they talked. And this is something that women in Israel would do. They do it in the Middle East today. They have a, a milling stone and they grind and one drops the grain through the hole in the middle and they grind it up and they sit and they talk and they have a good time. But in Ruth's actions, actions here, she's taking immense care of her mother-in-law at her own expense, leaving nothing but the milling to be done. As I said at the introduction, physical tasks often take on a spiritual connotation or a spiritual application. The job of winnowing actually pictures something else later in redemptive history. Jeremiah shows us just what in his prophecy to the people in Jeremiah 15. He writes these words, You have forsaken me, says the Lord. You have gone backward. Therefore, I will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you. I am weary of relenting, and I will winnow them with a winnowing fan in the gates of the land. I will bereave them of children. I will destroy my people since they do not return from their ways. As you can see, winnowing symbolizes purification. In this passage, it was the removal of the defiled people from the land. Everything is recorded for a reason, and understanding symbolism in stories like Ruth can often help us more clearly see what is being pictured. Verse 17 goes on, and it was about an epaw of barley. This is no small amount of grain here. In today's measure, it would be approximately an entire bushel. It would be rather heavy after the long day of gleaning and then beating out the grain, and she would have to be very careful carrying this thing home so it wouldn't topple over and spill all of her work. In all, the grain that she had obtained was enough to feed both herself and Naomi for five full days. This can be determined from what is recorded in Exodus chapter 16, which says this, And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat, speaking of the manna. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. So one omer is one day's supply of food, and we know that from the Bible. One omer is a tenth of an epaw. So if she obtained one epaw, then that would last two people for five days. If she could obtain this much throughout the entire harvest season of Israel, they would be able to survive when the harvesting seasons were over. Verse 18, then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Now imagine the dual pleasure of this moment. After her first day of working in the fields, Ruth was certainly very tired. She was probably even worn out. The load she carried from the field to the city would have been heavier and heavier with every step that she took. And so to set it down would have been a truly satisfying feeling physically. And yet at the same time, she would be overjoyed to see Naomi's face when the labor was presented to her. And so both physically and spiritually, she would have been renewed. At the same time, Naomi had probably been fidgeting around all day long, wondering how Ruth was and wondering if she had found any favor at all among the landowners. 
the long time that she was gone may have concerned her even more, wondering if she had found so little that she had felt that she needed to stay out all day long just to find enough to survive for a single day. She would have been tired from these thoughts, and they would have worn her down, and so to see this large basket of grain would be like balm for her. It would have restored her both emotionally and physically, filling her with both wonder and gratitude. Solomon speaks about how two can build up one another in this way and make life much more bearable. He says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will help up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So there's a mutual benefit in their relationship, one which Ruth has taken the lead in by being such a great blessing to Naomi. But she still had more coming with which to bless her. Verse 18 goes on. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. Well, earlier in this chapter, we saw this. It was from last week's sermon. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of, in, of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. That portion which she had kept back was with her mother-in-law in mind. Rather than having a second meal, she gave what was left of her lunch to Naomi for having a dinner. In this, she beautifully fulfills the words of Paul concerning the responsibility of the younger children to their widowed mothers. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, he writes, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today and where did you work? The astonishment of Naomi here is perfectly evident in the repetition of her words. Even if we didn't know how much an epaw was, just reading this would let us know that it was no ordinary day of cleaning. And in her words is a sense of heightening the thought and thus complimenting Ruth. First, she says, where have you gleaned today, right? And this is uh, what she set out to do, and this is exactly what she did. But she did more, as Naomi acknowledges with the words, and where did you work? Gleaning is working, but Ruth did much more. She came home with grain, which was ready to be milled. This means that she had to have a spot to thresh and to winnow the grain. And this means that she had to have someone to allow her to use their threshing floor to do it. It's both a compliment of Ruth and an acknowledgement that someone else had blessed both of them. Verse 19 goes on. Blessed be the one who took notice of you. Knowing Ruth's character, there is not even a hint of wrongdoing in her words. If it were any other person, thoughts of stealing might have come to mind, or maybe even gain in some other illicit way. Were it not faithful Ruth, how could such an abundance have come in any other way? But instead of such thoughts, Naomi's confidence in her character is never questioned. Instead, she realizes that someone must have taken notice of her and purposefully blessed her. Seeing her character and her hard work, they took notice and they were kind to her. It is the only explanation for this particular occurrence. And so she exclaims, Yehi macherech baruch, blessed be the one who took notice of you. And that ought to tell each one of us right here. I mean, most of us still work. We've got one retired person over here, but uh, uh, actually two retired people I'm looking at. But if you work hard and if you work honestly, it leads to trust. You know, if you just show up late and you, you kind of just do the minimum at work and you don't do what you're supposed to do, it's not going to lead to a quick promotion. But when you just quietly go about your business 
And especially if you do it with the Lord on your mind all the time, people are going to see that and they're going to notice that. Now, if you start saying you're a Christian, you may actually get fired. So, you know, in today's world, you don't know. But I'm talking about just the hard work ethic and the honest work will lead to trust. And that's exactly what we saw here. This girl came. There were probably many other gleaners. And yet Boaz took notice of her, certainly because she was beautiful. But just being beautiful wouldn't have been enough with him. He saw that she was diligent and she worked all day long. Good life lesson for us right there. Verse 19 goes on. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Repeating the second thought of working rather than merely gleaning, she gives the name of the owner. Boaz is his name and that's where he worked at. And technically, she didn't work with Boaz, did she? But because he is the owner of the field, it must be considered as working with him. Now think of us and Jesus, all right? We're not technically working with Jesus, and yet we're working with Jesus. So kind of make these mental uh, applications in your mind as you're looking at what's going on here. He allowed her to glean. He allowed her also to thresh the grain. And in the process, he gave her water and food. Once again, does that sound like Jesus? Keep thinking of these things. And so it was technically with him that she had worked that day. In this day of gleaning and working by Ruth, which Naomi asked about, we can and we should see parallels to our own lives in Christ. And another thing that we should do is we should daily ask ourselves, what is it that we have done in his fields? When we come to the end of the day, we should take a moment and we should ponder this. Matthew Henry says this about that concept. He says, it is good to question for us. It is a good question for us to ask ourselves every night. Where have I gleaned today? What improvements have I made in knowledge and in grace? What have I done that will turn to a good account? When the Lord deals bountifully with us, let it not be found in any other field, nor seeking for happiness and satisfaction in the creature. Wonderful words from Matthew Henry. And I got to tell you what, I have a grandmother on my father's side. And she said this to me one time years and years ago. And I was a screw up most of my life but I, I've always remembered what she said about this. She said, you know what? Every night before I sleep, I go to bed and I think, what could I have done better today? And she said, in my whole life, I can't hardly think of any days where I could have said today was a perfect day. And she was always evaluating herself and how can I make myself a better person? Add the Lord into that mix. How could I have done better for the Lord? How could I have been more inspired to tell somebody about Jesus or something else? And that's exactly what we're being asked to do and to reflect on from these words right here. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy, with blessings bounteous, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil in so many ways. Let your work to your servants appear and your glory to their children. May they behold it in the future year by year. And let upon us be the beauty of the Lord our God and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands while in this life we trod, and as we await our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus. Our second thought today is, Blessed be he of the Lord, which is verses 21 and 22. Verse 20 begins with, Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. There's a bit more in these words than might seem evident right away. First, Albert Barnes wisely notes that we may gather from Naomi's allusion to the dead that both her husband and son had been faithful servants of Jehovah, the God of Israel. This takes us right back to the first chapter where some scholars I noted find fault in her husband and in her children as if they were being disobedient to the covenant by moving to Moab during the famine. 
The logic then is that God killed them as an example for us to learn from. This is not the case. There is no hint of disobedience recorded, and it is an inference which is not supported by her words right here. God directs famines based on the obedience or disobedience of nations, not individuals. The individuals like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob, and like many others elsewhere in Scripture all sought assistance and relief from the famine in foreign areas, not out of disobedience but out of necessity. In the process, they remained faithful to God even in foreign lands. The second aspect of this verse, which is actually rather complicated in answering, is the question, just who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead? The Hebrew is ambiguous. And so, to whom is Naomi referring? Is she referring to the Lord or to Boaz? It's completely uncertain. The Lord is the nearest antecedent in the Hebrew, and so it seems likely. But it's difficult to be certain. The NIV assumes that it's Boaz, and it reads it this way. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He, Boaz, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. God's word sides with the New King James Version, and it says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him. The Lord has, hasn't stopped being kind to people, living and dead. Now, the difference might sound unimportant, but it does matter to Naomi. As Boaz is a picture of Christ to come, the ambiguity could have been intentional. The spirit may have wanted either option to be considered because in the end, the kindness of Boaz now is reflective of the kindness of the Lord in the picture that's being made. He, in fact, has not forsaken the living or the dead, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says that when the Lord comes for us, he's coming for the dead as well. So you see, it could be a picture of both of them. Verse 20 goes on, And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. These words here include the first of many times, about 22 times, that the close relative will be used in Ruth. It is literally a redeemer. Boaz is in this position in relation to them. Such a person is given the responsibility for several things. One is to avenge the killing of a relative. The other, or the second, is the marrying of the widow who has no son to continue on the family name. And also the third is redeeming an inheritance of that person. Some of the details for this close relative are found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And here's one of the passages that Naomi may have had in her mind when she was thinking of Boaz. This is from Deuteronomy 25. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her. Take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which she bears, will succeed to the name of the dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. In this, he is a picture of Christ, who is our true redeemer. And he's also an avenger of blood. However, at this time, Naomi only calls him one of our close relatives. There may be, and as we will see, there is one who is closer than Boaz. Now, if Boaz is a picture of Christ, then who is the one that is closer picturing? Who is it? Think on that as we continue through the story. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, he also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. Suddenly in the verse following the explanation about who Boaz is in relation to these two widows, three most unusual things come about. The first is that it again repeats 
which is actually a re-repeat that Ruth is a Moabitess. Thus it says, Ruth the Moabitess said. She's suddenly shown again to be distinct from the people of Israel, as if the author wants us to not forget this fact. The second peculiarity is the abrupt way that she responds to Naomi's words. She's just been told that this guy is a close relative or a redeemer, but she doesn't address it directly. Instead, she adds to it with the words, Gam ki amar, or simply, also to me he said. And finally, she erringly repeats the words of Boaz when she says, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Well, this is the substance of what he said, but it is not exactly as he said it. Instead, in verse 8, his words were this, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Instead of Boaz's words about young women, she says, my young men. Why would the verse emphasize her foreign status once again? What was she thinking when she responded to Naomi as she did, referring back to Boaz's directive about where she should work? And why would she say the men instead of the women? And in her citing Boaz, she, the words that she uses here are emphatic. She says that Boaz said, my young men and my harvest. When he spoke to her in verse 8, the words were not emphatic like she says to them to Naomi now. And finally, she finishes with the thought that he has told her to stay until all of the harvest is finished. This isn't recorded earlier, but it implies both the barley and the wheat harvests. His protection extends throughout the entire harvest cycle. All right? And there's one more point to make on this verse. Ruth did tell Naomi the kindness that she was shown by Boaz, but she did not tell her the glowing words of commendation that he had spoken to her. Her words indicate humility. It's a tenet opposite that of pride. In the humble, not the proud, is the favor and the grace of God revealed. Her humility has been a consistent theme of the book, and she will be rewarded for it in time ahead. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine from now on. It is surely true. This word I do proclaim. When you pass through the waters, I will be there the whole time through. And in the midst of the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned at all, nor shall the flame scorch you. On you, no disaster shall fall. For I am the Lord your God who watches over you, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, ever faithful and true. Our third thought is a season for gleaning, which are our last two verses, verse 22 and 23. Verse 22 begins with, And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, Like a moment ago when she was called Ruth the Moabitess, the author now speaks of her as Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Though she's a foreigner, she is married into the family and the covenant people. We're continually being reminded of these facts so that we can better sort out what is being pictured. And so to her she says, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women. In verse 8, Boaz had said to her to stay close by my young women, using the feminine word na'arote. In verse 21, Ruth had said Boaz's words were, You shall stay close by my young men using the masculine word niarim. Now, without knowing Boaz's true words at all, but knowing the customs of the land, Naomi instinctively says that it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, using the feminine na'arotav. Why have these things occurred? Well, let's go back to chapter one and reread Naomi's words to her daughters-in-law when they were at that crucial moment of deciding to continue on to Israel 
or return back to Moab. There we read this. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. As soon as Naomi mentioned a close relative or a redeemer, what did Ruth do? She stepped back from the picture and mentioned staying close to the young men, right? She's implying that a relationship might come up between Naomi and Boaz. She's removing herself from any intended relationship with Boaz. By saying that she would stay by the young men, it means that she would make herself available to them. In doing this, it would keep Boaz from being interested in her and instead be willing to redeem Naomi. It is once again an act of humility by saying to Naomi, he is also your kinsman redeemer. If you know what this is picturing, you'd be in tears too. But Naomi corrects her thinking. In essence, I'm not the one who will receive him. You are. You need to stay close to these young women, not the men, just as he instructed you. She can already perceive that she is too old to bear a child for Ruth, and so the kinsman must redeem through the line through Ruth, not her. And further, she can tell that with all of the attention Boaz has doted on her in this one day and in the promises of the rest of the harvest, that he's interested in her, and he might redeem the family through her. Elimelech's name will be carried on through Malone, and Malone's name will have been revived through Ruth. In order for this to come about, and for Boaz to grow more fond of her than he is already, she instinctively tells her to go out with his young women, not with the young men, which could only lead to trouble. The story and the words have been most carefully selected to show us a much greater picture in redemptive history. And yet at the same time, they show the hopeful intent of these women for the chance to be redeemed by an honest and an honorable man of Israel. Verse 22 continues, and that people do not meet you in any other field. In the field of Boaz, there is safety, there's abundance and fullness, which has already been offered. To not stay there would be tantamount to snubbing his exceptional kindness and also doing so in a contemptuous and an open manner, thus disgracing him in public because he's already offered it to her in front of a lot of people. Along with this, it would be opening herself up to the possibility of being violated in another field. The word she uses here implies this. It's a perfect example of what would happen to a person who comes under the protection of the God of Israel and yet goes out and looks for spiritual enlightenment in another strange religion, such as Mormonism, which claims the same God and yet which is foreign to him. If we call on Christ and we are his, he expects us to remain in his field. Should we start attending the Jehovah's Witnesses, we would open ourselves up to being violated by their doctrine. The picture of Ruth staying in Boaz's field is exactly intended to show us the importance of staying in Christ's own field as we gather the grain which pictures the word of God. Verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz. In fulfilling the certain hope of Boaz from verse 8 and in accepting Naomi's admonition of the previous verse, we read this beautiful verse here which begins with the words, Ve ba na'arut and stayed close to 
the young women. Ruth has first and foremost demonstrated humility and grace in her dealings with her mother-in-law, and she has done it with tact and she's done it with kindness in her heart. Now that she understands that she is the likely one to be used in the family's redemption, she stays close to the young women to not allow any scandal to arise. She is truly a woman of noble character. Verse 23 continues, to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. She faithfully continues her duty from the time of the Passover, shortly after which the barley harvest begins, all the way through the wheat harvest, which begins at the time of Pentecost. The entire harvest season then lasts for about a period of three or four months, depending on the exact location and elevation. During all of this time, nothing more is recorded of the lives of these three people other than the final note of verse 23, which says, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. In this final section right here, the word vetesev, and she dwelt, is used. However, some translators use the same word with a different pronunciation. Instead of vetashev, they say vetashav, and after she returned is what that means. If this is correct, then it would be implying one of two things. She returned to Naomi after working both harvest seasons, which makes absolutely no sense at all, or that she returned after working with the young women of Boaz each day. Either way, the context of the passage implies that she continuously lived with her mother-in-law throughout the entire harvest season, not after the harvest season. As she went out to work each day, she returned home to Naomi each evening. It is through the entire time that she is being watched by Boaz. Her character and her dedication to Naomi and her diligence working in the fields and staying close to the young women is not going to go unnoticed. And the same can be true for each one of us. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the entire earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But for the Lord to search us out and to reveal himself in this way means that we first have to be his. The way we demonstrate our loyalty to him is to call upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Without Christ Jesus, the Lord is not our friend. He's our foe. There remains a wall of enmity between us and God. The only way to break down that wall is to go through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So if you would, please give me just another minute, as I do each week, to explain to you how you too can be reconciled to God or how you can learn to tell somebody else how to be reconciled to God. The Bible makes it very, very simple. It says the wages of sin is death. That's We die because we have sin in our life. And there's two types of sin talked about in the Bible. There's spirit, or I'm sorry, two types of death that we talk about in the Bible. The first is spiritual death. That's something that's inherited. Our first father died spiritually the moment that he broke God's commandment, and all of us are separated from God because of that. The second type of death is physical death. If we don't get that first type, the spiritual death corrected before the second death comes, it will last for all of eternity. And so we need to make sure that we follow God's plan and we accept the way to go back to spiritual life. The wages of sin is death. And all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. It's a death sentence for all of us. But the Bible gives us that wonderful word. But, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's an offering of God. It's nothing that we can do. We're already dead in our sins and our trespasses, according to the Bible. We can't regenerate ourselves to eternal life, but God can. And so he makes an offering. And we see that offer and we say, I want that. I receive that. I call on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He died in my place. 
And so I accept that offering. We see the good in God. There's no good in us until we call on Jesus. But we can see the good in another, and we can go to that good. That's the free will that God gives us. So we call on him. It says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved, implying that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means that he came out of the grave because if the wages of sin is death, then he'd still be in the grave if he had sinned. He hadn't sinned, and therefore he came out of the grave. He must be Lord. I call on Jesus as Lord, and you will be saved. That's all the Bible asks you to do is to simply believe in your heart that Jesus Christ has done all of this for us. All right, so if you've never done it, or if you've sat in church your whole life and you've just never taken the moment to call on Jesus, please do that. I have a closing verse for you today, again from Ecclesiastes, it's chapter five. It says, here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life, which God gives him, for it is his heritage. Think of Naomi and Ruth. Ruth's out there in the field. She's working under the sun. Enjoy it. Enjoy it all the days of your life because that is your heritage. Next week is Ruth 3, verses 1 through 5. It's entitled, Go Down to the Threshing Floor. That'll be our seventh Ruth sermon. And I'd like to tell you, as I do each week, that the Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. He knows your trials, your troubles, and your woes, and he's there with you through them. He's not going to abandon you when you get into the valley. He'll be right there in the valley with you. So cling to him and let him do marvelous things for you and through you. All right? Got a poem, as I always do. It's called Gleaning Through the Harvest Season. So she gleaned until evening out there in the field and beat out what she had gleaned. About an epaw of barley her effort did yield. Then she took it up and into the city she went, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, the effort for which her day was spent. So she brought out and gave to her from her pack, after she had been satisfied, what she had kept back. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? The one who took notice of you? Blessed be he, I say. So she told her mother-in-law, probably elated, with these words she did say, with whom she had worked and she stated, the man's name is Boaz, with whom I worked today. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, yes, a blessing upon his head, who has not forsaken his kindness, both to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her as she spoke, This man is a relation of ours. One of our close relatives is this bloke. Ruth the Moabitess said, Then he also said to me, I do attest. You shall stay close by my young women, or my young men, until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, then, it is good, my daughter, as he revealed, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So close by the young women of Boaz she did stay to glean until the end of the barley harvest did draw and the wheat harvest too, yes, all the way. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Through the, though the work was hard, hot and tiring, Ruth continued with it day by day. Her example to us should be all the more inspiring, knowing that God used her efforts in such a wondrous way. In the end, her deeds and life have been given as sure examples to follow for each one of us, to be humble, dedicated, and loyal in this life we are living, and as we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus. As surely as Ruth will receive her just due, so the same is true for us as we bring glory to God. In Christ there is the certainty of reward for me and you, for all we do in his name while on this path we trod. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your kind hand upon each of us. Thank you for the greatest gift of all, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, 
It is good to read these words and to look deeply into them and to understand every nuance that we can glean out of them. Lord, I will never preach on the book of Ruth again in my life, most probably, and so I would pray that uh, it would be honoring to you as we go through it and find out the things that are in there that you have tucked away for us to research and to try to grasp and understand. And I would pray especially for tomorrow that you would help me to do an honoring job of showing the pictures of Christ. It's a rather complicated uh, uh, thing because it's four, four chapters long. And there's a lot of information which will have to be excluded. And so please help me to do my best in this and to bring you honor and glory through it. And I would pray for Ola as he uh, uh, anticipates taking a job down in South Africa. I would pray for uh, Oma and his congregation as well and uh, that you would bless them over there in Africa and for uh, the struggling ministries around the uh, nation and around the world that faithfully stick to your word and faithfully proclaim your word, that you would bless them and that you would continue to guide them all the days that they have in front of them so that they can be sustained and continue preaching this wondrous word that you have given us. Lord, there are a lot of people here that uh, uh, I would ask that you would keep them safe in the week ahead, that you would bless them, that you would help them to find joy in your word, find joy in your presence, and just to revel in you, and just to be uh, exalted, uh, that you would be exalted on their lips. And Lord, we want to praise you, and we want to do so in the name of your great, great Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, we get the instruction for the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And there Paul writes these words. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks over it. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam HaMotzinachem Min HaAretz. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he would have blessed it as well. He would have said, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Borei Pari HaGafen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as now and ever shall be, world without end.